for joining me for Church Online. In this new series, we're telling the stories of people whose God-fueled faith propels them to live a meaningful life. So each person's story and place in history is different, but they all experience the truth that God meets us where we are before sending us on a great mission. The usual response when we re- encounter God in this way is worship, and God almost always involves others in our transformation process. So alongside the series, we're going to help you understand our new way of thinking strategically about making disciples. So our leadership has developed this tool called the Discipleship Pathway. And what we hope is that you'll be able to find yourself on this pathway and take steps of faith to become reproducing disciples who are experiencing the peace of life with Jesus Christ. I explain the Discipleship Pathway in greater detail near the end of my sermon on March 28th. So if you want to learn more, Go to podcast.neartownchurch.org and you can listen to that talk. And for those of you who are attending regularly, but you're not yet members of Neartown, or as we call our members, mission partners, I want to ask you to go to neartownchurch.org and find the link for Discover Neartown 1. This is your next step in the discipleship pathway. So today I'm going to tell you the story of someone whose name is likely familiar to you. Paul was an inspired man, inspired by God to write a large part of the New Testament. And today I want to tell you the story of his conversion from being a persecutor of Christians through a period of equipping and eventually becomes an influential Christian leader. To use our language, he was propelled by God from being unchurched to eventually become a reproducing disciple of Jesus. We've named the series Propel. So let me help bring to your mind the image of an airplane as a way of helping you to better understand how the Christian faith works. I don't know how to fly a plane, but I'm willing to get in one with the trust that a trained pilot understands how to gain enough speed on the runway to take off for a flight. And what happens? And in the air, you get to see and feel and experience something that we cannot do on our own without getting in the plane and getting up in the air. This is what we hope for to be for you as We're like trained pilots who you'll trust to take you on a ride, giving you a breathtaking view of life. But first, we must understand the takeoff, which is what brings me to the story of Paul. We will start by reading about Paul in Acts chapter 9. But first, let me give you some background on Paul. So Paul was a highly educated, strong leader with widespread influence. He was schooled in Judaism by the premier educators But we get an idea of his clout when we read in the passage that he's able to go directly to the high priest and make a request that is then granted by the high priest. In every way, the world would define success. Paul was successful. And his life was not boring. He traveled, had friends. He was passionate about a cause. Yet he was far from a real relationship with God. And what we will see is that his passion will become the fuel God uses for a greater purpose. Let's start by reading Acts chapter 9 verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, in other words, Christians, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Paul was relentless in his persecution of the Christian church. Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says about Saul, who's renamed Paul, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I love to see his passion for what he believed to be true. We see this kind of passion all around us, right? 
You probably know someone who's passionate about their political views. They're willing to stand up and maybe even stand alone in a fight for what they believe. You may be passionate about your career. Maybe you know someone who's passionate about a hobby. They dance, they paint, they play a sport, they fish, they hunt, they exercise, whatever it might be. Our passions are different, but they share something in common. We find time to do what we are most passionate about, and we almost always try to include others. Paul's passion was Judaism, which had become a way of life built around the Old Testament laws, and it opposed anyone who lived differently. But sometimes God interrupts our lives to redirect our passions for a greater purpose. Hear that. And oftentimes he shows up in our everyday lives. This can be a sudden life-altering event like what happened to Paul. And other times it's a series of smaller interruptions by God. God is always working to set our passions on his purposes. So let's look at verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Clearly, this is a sudden, life-altering interruption by God in Paul's life. Saul both heard the voice of the Lord Jesus and saw him. And this is fundamental to Saul's apostleship because he sees the resurrected Lord. And it might surprise some believers who God will save. In Paul's story, Jesus shows himself as a bright light from heaven. Jesus speaks audibly to him. And this convinced Paul, whose passion had been persecuting Christians, And I will say this is one reason why we take the Bible so seriously. The written word, the Bible, reveals the living word, Jesus. This means that you can see Jesus as you study God's inspired words. And some of you have a story like Paul's where there's this one moment in your life where God shows up so powerfully and you believe the gospel and you're born again. To use an aviation metaphor, you're like a helicopter and you take off in your faith. You just just start to rise and believe and it's a great experience. Still others of you, and probably most of you, take a little longer to take off in your faith. You have doubts and you have questions that need to be answered. If you've had a bad experience with Christians, which can delay the flight of your faith, you're not taking off like you're in a helicopter because you're still on the runway and you've not taken off at all. Maybe you're still grounded in disbelief or fear or doubt. And I want you to know I'm glad you're listening. And I'm going to get back to this illustration a little bit later. But for now, I want you to notice that when Paul sees Jesus, Jesus asks him the question, why are you persecuting me? It's important as it reveals this union of Jesus and his church. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? And what we're reminded of is that those that are the church are in Christ. They're his body on earth. Okay, so there's this one moment he's storming up the road, determined to capture and imprison Christians. And soon thereafter, he's led like a child by the hand into Damascus. God's grace is often displayed in these humbling acts, these powerful acts that are apparent catastrophes. God can use what some might think is a tragedy for the greater purpose of slowing us down and causing us to focus our passions on the purposes of God. And I want you to notice something about the story. 
Paul's companions did not have the same experience. They did not know what was going on, and we don't really see them again in the story. This is what happens sometimes when we have a real-life encounter with God. Sometimes our friends won't understand, and they may even leave. But for Paul, there wasn't any hesitation to take the steps of faith to do what God says. God has shown up, and Paul is now willing to stand up and be led like a child, blind, into Damascus. This is the point of the story where God involves others in Paul's journey. Don't you know God almost always involves others in our transformation process? This is why the Christian church exists as a place where others partner with God in our renewal. For Paul, the person was a man by the name of Ananias. So look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So God tasks Ananias in the work he's doing in Paul's life. And Ananias says, uh, no. Let me pause here and say this. We, we tend to be reluctant to do God's will, especially when we're afraid or dislike the person who God has put in our life. For example, if you have a coworker or classmate whose passions are not yours, you might not be interested in ministering to them. Or maybe the people near where you live, work, and play just plain get on your nerves. But do you know that God might have you in their life because he wants to use it as a part of their radical change? Here's Ananias, a faithful person. He questions God's desire to work in Paul through him. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I don't know any other story exists about this person, Ananias. And it's interesting to me as I think about that. And I'm reminded that all of us have a part to play in God's redemptive work. It might be more public, like Paul's will be as he is standing or is going to stand before thousands, including earthly kings, to, to declare the good news that Jesus is Savior. But, but God will do something less public through most because they'll simply minister to the next person in their life. I love to see how God involves Ananias and by doing so strengthens his faith. His decision to trust God propels him into a memorable story. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ananias, his apprehension of Saul was turned to love for Saul because of the Lord's directive. Look at verse 18. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his strength. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. It is amazing that the one who persecuted Christians so violently should himself be transformed into a witness for God. This is a real life conversion story about somebody who takes off in their faith and let me just pause here and guide you a little bit in finding yourself in the story. And I'm going to help you find yourself in the story by helping you find yourself on what we call the discipleship pathway. Are you like Saul, who was passionate about something but need, needed to be given a Godward purpose? 
Like you're unchurched. Are you like Saul whose life was interrupted by a sudden event or a series of smaller events? God's trying to get your attention because he wants you to live on mission with him. Are you like Ananias who God is telling to go and to minister, to do something with people who are far from God? Are you like Ananias who resists God's prompting to go and talk to someone who intimidates you or do you just plain dislike? Or are you further along and you need to carry out what you know God is calling you to do by showing God's love to another person? Are you like Saul who has recently believed and is now waiting for direction? If this is you, like Paul, your next step is to stand up and be baptized as a way of publicly identifying yourself with Christ. Notice that this is the first step of obedience for Paul. So I'm going to talk a little bit about baptism. Baptism is the first step of obedience for Paul. I want to talk a little bit about baptism. Baptism is a way people identify themselves publicly with a group of people. Okay, so if you want others to know you graduated from a college, you wear the shirt, right? I know people whose wardrobe is half made up of shirts from the school they attended. And some of you were put in these outfits as a baby. And it wasn't your choosing at that point. It's cute, but there's something more significant when you choose for yourself to don the gear. Similarly, some of you were baptized as children by your parents who, for whatever reason, wanted you to be publicly identified as a Christian. But this is not the same as you choosing for yourself to believe and be baptized. Your childhood baptism is a wonderful testimony of having parents who want you to know and love God. So it's not meaningless, but it's not what we see in the scriptures for anyone who encounters the risen Christ. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that when a person is unwilling to get baptized after they believe, their faith is stunted. There's just something about the public admission by this demonstration of going into the water and to death and raising up, symbolizing new life. There's just something about it. For those of you who have ears to hear and have not been baptized, I want to challenge you to take this step of faith. So let's pick back up in Paul's story to show you what happens when God's plans become a person's passion. Look at verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Okay, pause. This is a period of equipping. It's one of multiple periods where Paul is trained. And it's why we take very seriously the part of our discipleship pathway where you're being trained to live out your Christian faith. Maybe this is where you are in your journey. You were unchurched. You now attend this church. You've attended and discover near 10 one, discover near 10 two, become a mission partner. Well, now it's time for you to take responsibility for your faith and invite others to equip you. So soon after this time with other Christians in Damascus, Paul's passion becomes to preach. This is where we see him becoming a reproducing disciple of Jesus. Look at verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Paul becomes a reproducing disciple of Jesus whose radical conversion powers his witness to others. His passion is now the purpose of God to seek and save the lost. And this all leads to a remarkable conclusion. God works daily to give our passion a meaningful purpose. Maybe you've never taken off in your faith, or as we say, you've never crossed the line of faith. You're on like a long runway until that point where you will have to decide it's time to fly in faith. Let me illustrate it this way. 
So in aviation, V-speeds are standard terms used to define airspeeds important or useful to the operation of all aircraft. One regulatory V-speed is called V1. It's, it's the takeoff decision speed. It's the speed beyond which takeoff should not be aborted. So in the cockpit, a pilot might say approaching V1 speed, meaning we're about to take off with faith that this plane is going to fly. For those of you that are still on the runway, I hope your faith is picking up speed because V1 is coming. You're going to have to decide, will you take off in life with Jesus? The alternative is to throttle down and never get off the ground in life or, or just keep trying to delay the takeoff and you'll eventually run out of runway. Worse, you'll never get to experience the exhilaration of living by faith in Jesus. So we, as a church, want to help you live passionately for God's purpose for your life. If God is calling you, be it with one sudden interruption or smaller, more subtle nudges, we're here to help you take steps of faith. The choice is yours. Will you take off like Paul or will you remain grounded? Let's think on and pray about these things.